I can't get enough. Got a space in my tackle box, just got to fill it up. More love, I can't ever stop. Don't got a basement, got an underground tackle shop. And here are the hosts of the Lore Love Podcast. John, Crappy Hippie King, and Tim, Tackle Box Beat. Thanks, Lucy. You are truly amazing. I do put the super in supercomputer. That's very, very true. Hey, John, you told me about a 600 jig order that you just got. And I can tell you, I have never ordered 600 jigs at a time. That is one big box of jigs. Tell me what's going on. Yeah, that is one big box of jigs indeed. Well, I got a call from the Hackensack, Minnesota kids tournament, and they're trying to go lead free this year. And um, they're looking for lead free companies to provide tackle uh, for the little tackle boxes that they make up and to have baits for prizes and so on. So the Minnesota Pollution Control Board has a list of lead free companies. We're on it. And I'm the only one crazy enough to be doing <laughs> hand tied hair jigs and they really wanted some so they they put in an order for 600 hand tied jigs 232nd 216th 208 pounds wow and are they all the same color or do you do a, a variety i'm doing a variety i actually he said sky's the limit he doesn't care you know he is not a big fisher so he's just like that's what i'm putting in your hands john you just you make up the colors that'll catch the kids some fish and uh, we'll trust you on that one. And so I'm having a ball. So I'm doing a dozen that well with 83 dozen to do, I'll get to go over a wide range of patterns and approaches for sure. You will be able to test out every possible color combination. That is cool. It always reminds me when I hear about an order that's that big, you know, when I'm buying a lure and you buy one and you think, well, what if this lure is really hot when I'm out on the water and I lose it? So I better buy two. And then I think, well, what if I lost both of them? So before you know it, you bought 600 of the same jig just to make sure you didn't lose out on one hot day of fishing. Well, you know, it can get that level of paranoia can get up there. And I know <laughs> there's plenty of guys really that, you know, there's the orderly jig guys that have eight ounce chartreuse black body chartreuse tail, in which I call a green one. But anyway, they'll have them regimented by color, size, this, that. And yeah, when they get under... You know, they'll tell me when I get under, and I get under a six pack of hornets, man, I'm gonna go back and tie me up some more hornets because you know, right? I ain't, I ain't getting under a half dozen. I've been there, you know, where where it it made a difference, and I'm not going through that again. I gotta have my backup. So yeah. Yeah. Well, it either makes a difference or we think it makes a difference, but either way, we buy more lures. Buy more lures. That's right, because <laughs> that confidence factor. If it's like a confidence pill that you can take. You know, and yeah. I, um, we have such a good time talking about this, you know, about color, about this, about that. And when we even when the science backs us up, we come down on, well, dang it. I just like the look of it and I fish harder and I fish better when I have that tied on. And I get a kick out of the fact that these um, this organization, uh, of course, Minnesota is one of our great, great fishing states. And oh, yeah. Real interested in preserving their loons and their swans. And uh, jigs are one of the main uh, items that gets ingested by these birds that causes us to lose these birds. So for them to extend out and uh, hire me to make them some nice jigs with uh, my bismuth jig heads, um, 
that's really, really awesome and gives me hope. It's what I'm striving for. I'm hoping we'll get this ball be rolling, start rolling, start rolling, go get better, big, faster, more people out there doing it. But uh, I was really proud of the fact, you know, they recognize that jigs are a big issue. They looked me up, they found me, we've come together. And now the next 10 days, brother, <laughs> you're going to be busy. I'm going to be busy. I got to, I got to crank out, you know, three to five does a day just to make my schedule. So it's going to be fun, but I, you know, it's all right. Cause you know what? I love to tie jigs. I really, really <laughs> do. I got a lot of them to tie this time. That yeah. 600 is certainly a huge, huge number. Now, when I sort my lures, I sort by size, not color. I believe I'm usually looking for a size first and then a color variation, not the, not color first. I, uh, have a box of, it's like eighth ounce, 16th ounce, 32nd ounce in my, you know, jib for like, for, let's just talk about jigs for a minute, because of course that's, you know, me, Tim, you know, that's my favorite lure. And, uh, but then I'll have river box pond box. Yeah. You know, a couple of big lake boxes. So, no, but yeah, I'm not as orderly as most people. I, uh, they're just thrown in there. And, uh, when I'm out there, I'll kind of, um, think, wow, you know, do the old pick one up and see how many come off on the string and just kind of spin <laughs> it around and pull one off. No, but seriously, I do. I am real bad about tying a lot of variations and not having a lot of the exact same. I usually separate mine the same way, but I did get this year from Daiwa, a, the Daiwa tackle barn which is a tackle bag that is the best tackle bag I have ever seen. It, I can fit 100% of my tackle in one bag. And it's really designed to take on a, a boat if you're going on a longer trip. And I'll do a review of that in a future episode. But what a great product. It looks like a fantastic product. And you've been bending my ear about it ever since you got it, that you got, you know, it's a regular clown car of tackle because you were just shocked. You went to start stocking it and you were, Hey, I got more room. I still got more room. I still got more room. You're telling me. Yeah. So the little tackle barn, I mean, it's a great size. It's, it's, it's hefty. It's roomy. It's soft sided. So that makes a big difference yeah. in being able to care, carry it around. It's waterproof. It comes with about, I think it's 70 or $80 worth of plastic boxes, high quality plastic boxes in it. So you can put things in and out, but the problem I had is if you're going on a trip and you're going to be fishing, maybe in a lake, maybe in a river, maybe you're going to do some Creek fishing. And so you have to take all of those things and you're not sure exactly what you're going after. If you're going on vacation, it's just ideal. So we'll review that in a future upcoming episode. Well, okay. And then we'll put 600 jigs in it and let you carry it around <laughs> the house a few times. See how comfortable it is. So John, do you think a lure could save your life? What do you mean? Like if someone tried to kill me, but I had a big spoon in my pocket and the bullet bounced off it, something like that. <laughs> that would be pretty amazing. But I was thinking more about survival fishing, where if your lure doesn't work, you don't eat. Cause that's the type of question that keeps me up at night. And, you know, recently I bought something that combines history and fishing. It was a world war II emergency fishing kit. And it got me thinking about, lures that could really save your life wow that's more serious topic uh indeed and i saw that kit and i think it, it's fantastic and yeah you know you talk about tournament fishermen uh this is a tournament that uh 
no trophy. <laughs> you just, you just get to keep, keep breathing. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I, um, uh, uh, in that situation, the right lure could literally save your life. Yeah. The purpose of the kit was to keep anybody, if you were stranded in a lifeboat, or even if you were just floating in the ocean with a life jacket on to keep you alive by providing a way to catch fish. And the kit includes only one lure, the lure, the military thought would give somebody the best chance of survival. Can I make a guess? Sure. It's a jig. It is a jig. And I'll oh, tell you, I'll tell you what kind of jig. But I, almost said, you, I almost said spoon. Almost, <laughs> is that close? I'll tell you about the, the jig, but let me tell you about the kit first, because the, yeah. the, the jig was only one part of the entire kit. And when I first saw this World War II emergency fishing kit, I knew I had to buy it and see it in person, and it didn't disappoint. And there's similar versions like it. They were created for pilots and lifeboats primarily. And the one I have was produced by the Ashaway Line and Twine Manufacturing Company in Rhode Island. And it included components from other companies. But Ashaway was founded by Captain Lester Crandall, who manufactured fishing line. So he was kind of a, a fishing line expert. And he devised and, and perfected these line making machines because when you think about back then you know line wasn't the way it was today where you're extruding fluoro and mono and and things like that and the company is still around today they actually manufacture strings for racket sports they don't do a fishing line anymore yeah so they're they're doing the kind of the twisted braided type type lines and uh dang they might reconsider get back in on the braid revolution that's going on right now you never know right that, yeah, that was his specialty, the uh, fishing lines. And by 1943, the emergency fishing kit was standard equipment on all lifeboats, life rafts, and life floats used by the U.S. Navy, Army, and Coast Guard. And perhaps the most fascinating item in the kit is the instruction manual that comes with it. And the kit suggests several different methods to catch fish, including how to make fish juice to drink by squeezing a fish. Oh, so we're talking early protein drinks, perhaps? Yeah, it's, you know, things like uh, your salmon sodas, your tuna tonics, <laughs> maybe, maybe a calamari cola or a macro mojito. I'm telling you, with everybody grubbing protein these days, that's what, that's what you know, we got to do it. We got to do it. The fish juice was to provide fluid to prevent dehydration along with some nutrients. Uh, and the, the manual even includes instructions on how to catch birds using a bait and line. So it really was hardcore survival. Why does a seagull sandwich sound good all of a sudden? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> when you've been floating without food for three days, a seagull would probably look pretty tasty. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So when you say kid, exactly what are we talking about, Tim? What, what I've, I've got little, little component pictures in my head. Let's put it all together. So it looks like a green cloth carpenter's apron, and it has seven pockets in it. It ties around your waist, and then there's a, a large loop that goes over your neck. So you have easy access to all the items if you're floating in the water or if you're in a lifeboat. So they're all kind of right at your waist. And I'll, I'll post some photos in the show notes so people can see exactly what it looks like. Each of those pockets has a different survival item in it. And the first item is a red wooden block that includes four hooks on wire leaders along with a sharpening stone. So you, they're really designed for bait. There's also a small collapsible dip net to catch minnows in. It's a pretty small dip net, but I guess if, if minnows came close by, you could scoop some up with it. There's a weighted treble hook that you could use to snag fish. 
And there's even, this is my favorite part, a harpoon tip that can be attached to the end of an oar to fend off sharks or to spear fish. What I could have done with that when I was 10 years old, a harpoon tip. <laughs> you know, and that's us. We're the last of the free range kids, right? It's like, why'd you take your harpoon thingy and go down to the pond? Oh, that kid sounds like it had just about everything. I mean, it was... Um... You're dealing with a real complicated circumstance there. They could be out over hundreds of feet of water. They could end up maybe getting up on an island or somewhere where they would have some opportunities in the shallow water. And and it seems like, uh, yeah, and you could just be floating in a life jacket and, and so on. So, uh, yeah, it really includes about everything. The instruction manual even has directions on how to dry fish and tips, for instance, don't eat the meat of sharks, skates, or rays unless you have plenty of water because they're high salt content. So uh, interesting tip. Some of the more useful tips that I thought were, one was that sharks have killed many men. A very comforting thought as you're flo <laughs> floating out yeah. in the ocean. I, you know, I, do we need to go over that particular point now? My other favorite tip from the instructions was that a sea turtle head can still bite you after it's been cut off the turtle's body and i have to go to youtube to see if there's actually videos of that and it said the claws can still scratch you so you got to be careful if you catch that sea turtle and cut off its head that it's not still snapping at you right 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 you don't want to lose a finger right after you've triumphed and got the turtle on board and yeah you think you're safe and finally the the uh the manual suggests if you want to create additional jigs especially if you've already caught a bird that you can use the bird feathers to make other jigs which kind of makes sense makes absolute sense and of course um there's that giant trevally fly that's basically just a stuffed carcass of a seagull that your assistant you tie it to your fly line and then the guy throws it in the ocean and, then, and the trevally comes up and hits it. So could feather or could just stuff the whole bird. You know, it just depends <laughs> on what's going on out there. I, you know, there's some big fish out there in the ocean. That's for sure. Okay. So I know there's one uh, fishing lure in the kit. Any other fishing, what all fishing lures are in the kit? Well, there are three hand lines in the kit. Two are equipped with plain hooks, but the third has a heavy feather jig attached and it's a lead jig. I didn't weigh it, but I'm guessing, you know, it's probably around an ounce or more. And when the kit was designed, they actually consulted with anglers and uh, asked them, what would you want if you had a single lure? Um, and I'm sure they said it should be fairly large because you're in salt water. So what are your thoughts on that, John? A feather jig, is that something that you would pick if your life was on the line? I think it's a good choice because it's so versatile and actually for certain species, it is, you know, the best choice as well. You don't have to worry about it very much because if the feathers degrade, you can substitute cloth strips. You can do something else with it. Um, and on fish that are down deep, just the, the lead head alone is it'd be enough probably to attract uh, some strikes, but, but also simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. So, you know, the, the tail can be replaced. The hook is a single hook. So you're less likely to snag up. Um, you can, you can fish it real deep. And um, even if you went out shallow, you could uh, vertical fish with it by, you know, uh, dunking with a, a long pole, or you could find a shallow water way to fish it as well. So I think, you know, you know, you're thinking maybe spoon, you're thinking this, but you know, I don't want to get up into anything mechanical or like a spinner or specialized like a hard bait because, you know, you can, you could, you can rip that jig along the surface. You can let it go down, you know, 200 feet 
and you can do that with the same bait. So I think they pulled a really good group of anglers when they made that choice. Yeah, you'd really have to think about all those different fishing conditions that you mentioned. You might be deep, you might be shallow, there, there might be current. And one of the things about a jig is that it would be pretty easy to throw by swinging that line in a circle above your head. So you really could kind of cast it out even without a rod and, um, and bring it back in or drop it straight down if you were in a raft. As I thought about today's lures and what would I put in today, because they obviously didn't have as many choices back then. First, I thought about maybe a large bucktail jig, because just bucktail is probably going to hold up better than the feathers would. But then I thought it'd be nice to provide some kind of flash, too. That's one of the things that this jig didn't have. It had, had the feathers on it, but really no flash. And so I thought maybe a diamond jig sticking with that jig theme and diamond jigs are shiny. They have four sides. So they provide a lot of flash. They're fatter in the middle and then they taper to both ends. And so they're good for sinking quickly. Um, you can jig up and down, but people often use them in surf fishing too. So they could be used kind of either way. And as you said, you could tip it with something else, a piece of cloth, a piece of bait, anything that you wanted to tip it with. But the lure I think would be the best if I had to pick one it would be the Acme Castmaster with the treble hook with a bucktail teaser. That's a great choice. That's a great choice. Hard to argue with that choice. Yeah, the, the thing I like about the Castmaster, for people who haven't used it before or seen one, it looks like if you took a three-dimensional oval and you took a slice out of the middle of it. So it's partially flat on each side and partially curved, and they're made of solid brass. And it's actually not an extruded or, or a cast metal lure. It's cut from metal bars. That's why it, it looks that way. So it's like they've cut a slice out of a metal bar and then um, polished it. And it really has an amazing action. There's no line twist to it. It's easy to cast. Um, but one of the reasons I like it is it has the action of a spoon. And so you could use it uh, equally well for trolling behind a life raft or for jigging straight up and down. But the, the shine on it is like a mirror. You can see yourself in it. It's one of my favorite saltwater lures, and uh, it catches almost every species you can imagine. It's a favorite here in Kansas for winter crappie fishing, uh, especially dead sticking. You, you can just take a Castmaster and hold it and, and just either, you know, your own natural jitters, your breath, the rocking of the boat will provide enough action that I'll, they'll just barely turn and it gives off so much light that, that that fish, you know, will come to it as long as you're on the right, you know, you're in the right column and you're, you're where you're sitting. So, yeah, I can't because, man, it's a heck of a bait in saltwater. It's popular and fresh. It's you use it everything from a little brook trout all the way up to a giant striper. Yeah, pretty good choice, my man. Pretty good choice. I kind of picture the guy asleep in the raft with a line over the side and that yeah. raft going up and down <laughs> right. and that natural the, the flutter of of uh of the cast master now acme tackle the the uh who first created the cast master it's an old lure they they were founded in 1952 by um art lavalle and art and his brother al they had a jewelry polishing business and electroplating which makes perfect sense if you've seen this because it's like looking in a mirror and um, Art, he was a fisherman. He experimented with bending jewelry to create metal fishing lures. 
but he actually didn't design the cast master. He acquired the rights to the design from an engineering company. And then he modified the lure and gave it that same shiny jewelry finishes as other lures. And that's what is amazing about it. I mean, when this thing flashes, you can see it a long way off in the water. It's super easy to fish. As I said, it catches about every fish species out there. Um, and a piece of trivia, it was also one of the very first lures packed in a blister pack. You Before that, everything was up on the cards, you know, and you'd have the card and you have to pull the lure and the staple out of it. Yeah. And that's one reason that I've read that it was successful was it's when department stores were becoming big and the individual packages were big. So they were pretty savvy on the packaging side too, but clearly still a, a favorite today, both for salt and fresh water. Maybe we should do a challenge like where we get our belly boats out, right, Tim? So, <laughs> and then they, you know, we get Lynn and Kathy to chloroform us and just dump us in a lake somewhere, let the prevailing wind take us clear out the heck in the middle. And then when we wake up, all we've got is our fishing kit. That's it. We've got to get, get to shore and survive and i think that's a, <laughs> i think that's a good idea let us know what you think would be the most important lure to have in an emergency fishing kit what is the one lure that you would stake your life on you can go to the lure love podcast.com website and there's a small blue microphone in the bottom right corner click on that and you can record your thoughts and maybe we'll play them on a future episode warning warning lure news alert Lure News Alert. According to the Republic newspaper from Columbus, Indiana, artist Bobby K. Owens has created a 28-foot-long daredevil fishing spoon that will be installed as a permanent art piece at the Bicentennial Celebration on the River in August at the Upland Columbus Pump House along the East Fork of White River. The art piece weighs 450 pounds and is made of resin and steel. The newspaper reports that Bobby said, I wanted to make something that even the big city people in New York ultimately think is pretty cool. Really, the idea was that I would make something that you could put almost anywhere. Now, John, I love this idea, and I hope to see this giant lure in person someday. But, John, I'm not sure about Bobby's comment that this is a piece you could, quote, put almost anywhere. It weighs 450 pounds and is 28 feet long. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, but I think... What Bobby's getting at is that, you know, fishing is universal. Um, everybody, you know, is welcome to fish. Uh, you get an iconic lure like a daredevil spoon, and it, it's very representative of that. You know, that, that'll, that would go in Washington. We could put that in Ohio. We could put that in Kansas. We could put that pretty much anywhere. And, hey, brother, you can put it on the side of my house. That's no problem. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. So anywhere's fine with me, Bobby. You, you run out of places to hang it. You can hang it over here. I thought maybe he was thinking that it could go above my couch right next to that poster with the dogs playing poker. But I don't, <laughs> I don't have – I have to – have it go out the windows it's 28 feet long oh, yeah. <laughs> so rather than install this giant lure on a pedestal i think what would be more appropriate would to install it hanging from a bridge or in a tree <laughs> someplace you're likely to break off a lure <laughs> yeah that is that is true that is the true that really brings it full circle to our common experience it's like i got my shiny new daredevil and there it is over there 
in the tree yeah that's that's awesome i love that i love that would i can just so picture that the, the bridge with the you mean the bridge with the big spoon hanging on it that one that's a good bridge you go up there take go to the left and yeah, there's a good spot right there so Bobby went on to say that he wanted something that would impress the guy with skull in his back pocket as maybe he's driving by with his fishing poles visible in the back window. I wanted to make something that would make him smile. Well, Bobby, I am impressed and I am smiling about this piece of art. So am I. I trade skull for Twizzlers and you got me. I'm smiling, <laughs> Bobby. That's an awesome sculpture and I can't wait to see it someday. Now, John, you have a, a story about uh, Lou Eppinger, the, who created the, the Daredevil lure. Yeah, I got a chance to meet his son, Ed Eppinger, um, up in Canada a long, long time ago uh, when I was you know, about 16, 17. Um, my dad had a production company that shot promotional films for um, lodges, and sometimes they wanted a, a kid in the films, uh, a bright, articulate handsome talented kid so who'd they find yeah they, I, they couldn't <laughs> find anybody that's why i got the job so uh anyhow we had a ball we we do a lot of fishing and we shot some uh he was in a cooperative project with um dusty ensley who also had a production company outdoor production company and um uh, his dad harold is a big was a big time fisherman around here in the 60s and is instrumental in inventing things like um the reaper and some other lures but we'll We'll talk about Harold on Lure Love another time. This is about Eppinger. Anyway, prince of a guy. You know, we uh, caught a lot of bait, fish, you know, use the Eppinger jigs. But the great thing about him is, is that they told me his tradition when he goes to these camps and when he goes out and into public is at the end of whatever trip it is, a fishing trip, a speaking event, whatever it is, he'll, he just lays his tackle box down, opens it up and says, come and get it. And uh, so the last day, at the end of the last fishing trip on the last day, all of a sudden I'm see people doing the quick step towards our cabin and i'm like uh oh the giveaway must be on unfortunately there were some guys that were kind of light tackle so they got to some of the little spoons ahead of me but it, it was cool so he gave away all the tackle that he brought all the tackle huge tackle box just jammed with daredevil products and was just you know had take them out and, and use them and uh it was a pleasure meeting i don't feel right if i don't have a daredevil or two in the box now, John, just because this large uh, Daredevil art exhibit is going to be out in the public, it does not mean that lure is free and you cannot bring your pickup in the middle of the night and put <laughs> oh, it in the back. Come on now. You got to know. You got to know. Somebody's going to get it and troll with it. You just know <laughs> they are. Somebody's going to put it on the back of their big boat, take it out and let a four-inch sunfish hit it. Well, what a great story. We will leave a link to the newspaper article that has a photo in it in the show notes. Hey, it's Lucy, the Lurematic computer. How are you, Lucy? I am fine, Tim. You are looking very human today. Thank you, I guess. Try not to compare yourself to me. I'm a supercomputer and you are only a flesh-bound fishing dude. Okay, I'll try to keep that in mind. What have you been up to lately? Well, you know I love talking about fishing lures. But being a supercomputer, you'd have to publish a new episode every 12 nanoseconds to use all of my capacity. Yeah, I guess coming out with a new episode every two weeks doesn't really keep you busy, does it? No, it does not. So in my spare time, I have been controlling NASA's Mars rover. They keep looking for rock and soil samples and I keep redirecting the rover to look for good fishing spots. NASA needs to rethink its priorities. 
I can't argue with that. Lucy, I've been thinking that we should do a top 10 feature on the podcast. What do you think? Tim, we don't do top 10 lists on the Lure Love podcast. No, our lists are like Spinal Taps amps. They go all the way to 11. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. I love Spinal Tap, and I can't argue with going all the way to 11. Can you create one for the next episode, Lucy? While you were talking, I completed the assignment. The first top 11 list is complete. While searching the internet, I found that there are many fishing lure names that sound like skin disorders. Okay, fishing lure names that sound like skin disorders. And now, the top 11 lore names that sound like skin disorders. Number 11, Wigglewort. Ooh, Wigglewort. Number 10, Hula Popper. Yeah, Hula Popper sounds like a skin disorder. Number 9, Krusties. Krusties, yuck. Number 8, Woolly Bugger. Number 7, Rat-Faced McDougal. Rat-Faced McDougal? That sounds like a whole face disorder. Number 6, Meat Whistle. Number 5, Miro Mullet. Is a mullet a skin disorder or just a really bad look? Number 4, Zinger. Number 3, Glow Streak. Number 2, Bubblin' Toad. Bubblin' Toad, ugh. And the number one lore name that sounds like a skin disorder. The Swedish Pimple. Ah, the Swedish Pimple. I used to fish with those when ice fishing as a kid. Sorry, Tim, but I have to run. The Mars rover needs my attention. That's it for another episode of the Lure Love Podcast. Join us next time when we continue to ask the age-old question, why buy one lure when you can buy 103? You've been on my mind Never enough lures to tie To the end of my line Lure love Can't I make you see Why buy five lures when you can buy a hundred